Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy our teaching time with our special guest speaker. Morning, everybody. My name is Spencer Schwartz, as I heard. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm on staff here at UPCC. I'm going to ask you guys to turn with me, as was read already, to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Um, our passage is falling between verse 13 and 17 of that section. Today's a pretty significant day. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. I learned this on Facebook this morning. But this is the first time in 900 years that our date is a pelodrome. 0202-2020. Backwards, it's 0202-2020. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but I thought I'd give you a fun fact of the day. So um, with that said, let's go ahead and get started. Um, so this is an election year, right? When, let, let me test your knowledge. When do we elect the next president or keep the current president going? When is that? November 3rd. November 3rd. Okay. So the election happens, right? We choose our president. Anybody know when the inauguration is? January. January. Everyone's like, January. <laughs> January 20th, I had to look it up. I wouldn't have been able to answer that off the top of my head. January 20th is the inauguration. The inauguration is a ceremonial induction into office. It signifies a formal beginning. It's a changing of the guard in a sense. The beginning or introduction of a system, a policy, a period. Today in our passage, we will be talking about an inauguration, but a messianic inauguration. This is Jesus stepping foot into his role as the Messiah. This is the first time in Matthew that we see Jesus as an adult. He is fully matured. He's been living a normal, average human life, but he is an above average, as we know, individual. Okay, But it was at this point that he starts his earthly ministry. He starts this new system, this new policy, this new period in humanity, in, in history. So this is, Jew, this is Jesus' inauguration. The Jews were highly anticipating the coming Messiah. It was ingrained in their religious life. It was ingrained in their political lives. It was a huge part of their lives. It was part of their DNA. God had been unraveling his ultimate plan of salvation for thousands of years, culminating in the God-man, Christ Jesus. I mean, we see even in like the second page of the Bible, we see clues of the coming Messiah. And the whole Old Testament is pointing towards the coming Messiah, pointing towards Jesus as fulfilling that role. In our passage, it was revealed for all to see with no question that Jesus was that Messiah, that King. And we see that through his baptism, through this public display of uh, the start of his ministry. 
So let's go ahead and and start reading in verse 13 of our passage. Matthew 3, 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. So there's two key figures in this story up to this point in Matthew. You have John the Baptist. Okay, John the Baptist, we we first hear of him in the beginning of chapter 3. Ray talked extensively about him. And then the, the first two chapters of the Bible are all about Jesus and all about how he fulfilled what was to be in the Messiah. So John the Baptist, and I think sometimes when we think of Jesus and we think of John, we think of these highly mature individuals, right? These were, these were, these were the ones leading this, the hinge in history, okay? Any 30-year-olds in here? Can you raise your hand? Okay, okay. False. Put your hand down, young man. <laughs> so we have one 30-year-old, okay? Any 31-year-olds? 29-year-olds? Okay, okay. Put your hand down. Okay, so sometimes we forget John the Baptist, Jesus, they were only 30, 31 years old. And that, that makes sense that the religious leaders of this time really pushed back. These were very mature men, heavily grounded in their religiosity, and they really pushed back against Jesus. You see, Jesus and John the Baptist, they were relatives. They were cousins. And it's, it's kind of cool and kind of freaky. I'm, pregnancy kind of freaks me out. It's kind of, it, it just, thank God, you know, women have to. <laughs> that's, that's your role, okay? The curse, yeah. Um, but, so Elizabeth, <laughs> Elizabeth, it's a blessing. Let me. <laughs> Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist. Okay, and she was in her third trimester when Mary came to visit her. And Mary at the time had been pregnant with Jesus early on in her pregnancy. But it says that John the Baptist leaped for joy inside the womb. If you can imagine this, John the Baptist is having a dance party inside (laughs) Elizabeth's womb. Why? Because he's excited. He's, He's excited about the Messiah who he in some weird way, recognizes is in his presence. John the Baptist was born excited for the Messiah, and that that never went away. That was his purpose, was to declare this this change in history. The Messiah is, is coming. So my first point today is about John. It is the humble herald, the humble herald. His purpose was strictly preparation. He was preparing the way for the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3 is a prophecy that is talking about John the Baptist. It says, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Mark 1, Mark chapter 1 verse 4 tells us, And everyone came to hear him, speaking of John the Baptist, all the people from Judea, in Jerusalem were going out to him. They confessed their sins and were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So what are some elements in those passages that we see about John the Baptist? He was in the desert, so he was, he was in this very, you know, not very luscious area, um, and he was preaching repentance. He was, he was giving the gospel. He was sharing the Messiah is coming, okay? Now, if, if you look at a map of Israel, 
um, there's two bodies of water that are, you know, pretty familiar. You have the Dead Sea and you have the Sea of Galilee. So if you kind of draw a line in the middle of Israel, the bottom half would be very deserty, and the top half would be very green and luscious. Well, John the Baptist and his ministry was predominantly just north of the Dead Sea on the Jordan River, okay? And it says in the, in, in the Mark passage that people were coming from Judea, which was the southern part of Israel. And they were coming from Jerusalem, which is the northern part. People were hearing about John the Baptist and his message and, and what he was declaring. And they were coming to him. And they were, they were repenting and being baptized. Up to this point, the, the Jews were, were relying heavily on their ethnicity. They were relying heavily on um, the rituals. And John was really pushing back against that. He was preaching repentance. He was preaching baptism, which was pointing towards the Messiah. Then we get to Matthew chapter 3. As if you can look in verse 11, John says, He who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. Holy Spirit being those that choose Christ and fire being the judgment of, of eternal fire, those that deny Christ. Everything about John's ministry must be understood in light of his role as the one who is preparing the way for Messiah. So what was his message? Well, we see his message if you look back into verse 2 of chapter 3. This is, this is his message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, John was massaging the people for a change in the religious norm. God's standard would remain the same. His standard was righteousness. His standard was righteousness. He was saying repent. But the righteousness that he was communicating was dependent not on us, but on the Christ, the Messiah that would come. And I think it's really cool. John, John the Baptist is one of my favorite characters of the Old Testament. I just... It's just crazy. He, came, he was before Christ, and yet he was so passionate about that figure that was coming. And it was almost like contagious to the people around him. He jump-started Jesus' ministry in a way. He saved some time. John was carving out a community of people who were alert to the coming of the Messiah, who were ready for his appearing. Those baptized by John were a true pre-messianic community. They knew themselves to be poised and on the threshold of this new age, the messianic age. And I think sometimes we, we, we kind of, we have a hard time of identifying ourselves with them. John is everything that we should be today. He was telling of the coming Messiah. He was telling of Jesus coming, preaching repentance and nothing has really changed. We are looking forward to Christ's second coming. We are preparing the way. The Great Commission is go, teach, baptize. We're to be doing the same thing. We are forerunners in a way. And, and the Bible says we do not know the time. We do not know the place. But it's coming. Matthew 24, 44. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect and I love this quote by Martin Luther. He says, preach and live as if Jesus was crucified yesterday, rose from the dead today, 
and is returning tomorrow. We need to have the same veracity that, that John the Baptist had, this humble herald. Imagine being John at this moment, at this moment in our passage. All the prophecies of the Messiah had been made. He was born, he became, Jesus was born, he became a man, right under the nose of the people that he said the world would be blessed through. And then we have this piece of the puzzle where Jesus just, he appears and comes to them. Everything John had dedicated himself to was materializing right in front of him. John chapter 1 verse 29 says, He, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's saying, This is the guy. This is the one I've been telling you about. He's going to take away all our sins. I've been preparing the way for this man, Christ Jesus. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Let's go ahead and read verse 13 and 14. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? All right, so we have this really, we have this unique passage that is, it, it's unique to Matthew. In all four Gospels, this account, the baptism, is in all four of them. But, but in Matthew's account, we see this kind of back and forth between, between John and Jesus. John's like, hey, you should baptize me. I'm not worthy to baptize you. And this, this phrase is stressing the repeated attempts that John's like, no, 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 no. And he's humbly coming to Jesus. He's humbly refusing, but Jesus insists. And why does Jesus insist? Well, we see that in the next verse. We see that in verse 15. And this starts the section of um, my second point, the, ser the servant king. The servant king. And these are all, all my points are just small character um, studies in a way of what is going on in this passage. So the second point is the servant king. Why did Jesus choose to be baptized by John? Let's go ahead and read verse 15. It says, But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, speaking of John. Jesus introduces his own ministry by submitting himself to John's baptism. Why? Well, verse, verse 15 lays it out. It's Jesus' purpose, we see, his purpose to fulfill all righteousness. So what do we see fulfilled in Jesus? Well, Jesus fulfills Old Testament prophecies. Up to this point, there's been a lot of prophecies that have been fulfilled in Jesus. He was on the line of David. He was born of a virgin, lived in Egypt, born in Bethlehem. Jesus fulfills Old Testament prophecy, but Jesus also fulfills all of God's righteous requirements, all of God's righteous requirements. He fulfills all righteousness as he states. Righteousness is defined as the demand of God on man to live according to his law. The demand of God on man to live according to his law. 
something is being introduced in Matthew that, that had not been known up to this point. Jesus is the one fulfilling this righteousness. It's nothing we can do. The Bible describes our good works as, as rags. And, and not just any rags, but filthy rags. There's nothing we can do to gain our own righteousness. And the thing is, we can't stand before God in his presence with our sin. So he sent Jesus to fulfill all righteousness so that by him and through him we can be saved. Romans 3, 21 through 23. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus fulfills all righteousness. And what is his message? What is Jesus' message? Well, if you, if you look at our passage, he's being baptized. And then, beginning at chapter 4, he goes, into this, he goes into the wilderness and is tempted. And then he starts his earthly ministry. And if you look at chapter 4, verse 17, you see this. This is Jesus' purpose. And it reflects, it's the same message that John the Baptist had in chapter 3, verse 2. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. So let's look at verse 16. Verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. I want to make clear, Jesus did not repent. There was no need for Jesus to repent. People were repenting and being baptized, but Jesus is identifying with John's message. And it says here, the heavens are open. You know, Jesus is dunked, brought up, and then, I don't even know what this looks like, but the heavens were open. I don't know if it's like other dimensional or the clouds part and the light shone. I don't know what that looks like, but it's a very powerful thing. It's it's undeniable what is happening here. This idea of opening the heavens carries the notion of this, this almost like apocalyptic thing is happening. This often happened in visions where when God is present or when God speaks, the heavens are open. Luke's account tells us that there was a crowd of people. So this was visible for all to see. This is something that was, that was witnessed Mark 1.10 describes the heavens as being violently torn open. So what happens? Heavens open up. Dove descends. And this is the divine anointing of Jesus. Luke's account, the spirit descended in a bodily form like a dove, again showing the publicness of this event. So, this must have been incredible for John. So John is there preaching, repent, and baptizing. Jesus comes, says, you must baptize me. This man that he dedicated his life to speak about, to prepare the way for. And then he baptizes Jesus, and he has a front row seat to the heavens opening up. And the Holy Spirit descending like a dove onto this man. Like, can you just imagine, like... I'm sure he had goosebumps on his goosebumps and just like about to pass out kind of thing. Like, this is amazing. 
Heavens open, Holy Spirit descends, and then God the Father speaks. And this is my third point, the proud Father. So you have the humble herald, John the Baptist, the servant king, Jesus Christ, and the proud Father, God the Father. Let's read verse 17. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the only passage in Scripture that you see all three distinct persons of the Trinity interacting with each other. There is no doubt that there are three. You have Jesus just coming out of the water. You have Holy Spirit descending, and you have God the Father speaking. Now, you have, you have throughout Scripture, you see each person of the Trinity fulfilling their role and doing their part. But this, this is an undeniable section. God is not taking on different forms. It's not God the Father then became a man and then the Holy Spirit. These are three distinct persons of the Trinity. And this is such a cool passage that, that makes it very clear of their distinctness. But we have here God the Father speaking, John the Baptist witnessing this. What is, what is the purpose of God speaking here? His purpose is to affirm the significance of this baptism. He is breaking the silence. What's his message? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. During this time, Jewish rabbi believed that the prophetic age had ended. All right, they went, if you look at the, the Bible, the Old Testament ends and then there's this 400 year gap before the New Testament begins. So 400 years where, you know, in quotes, God is silent. He's not speaking through prophets anymore. There's none of that happening. There's this change. There's this almost like silent period. God would no longer speak directly to them until the Messiah had come. So I want to put this a little bit into perspective. How old is America? Testing your knowledge again. How old is America? What was the start of America? <laughs> it started in Philadelphia with the Declaration of Independence, 1776. I Googled it, so I'm not, I don't expect you to know the math, but our country is 240 years old, all right? A lot has changed in 240 years. We only had 13 states back then. Our population was about 2.5 million people. People were getting around by horse, all right? That's a little weird. All right, people were getting around by horse. There was no TV. Women were wearing bonnets and men were wearing socks to their knees with like pants scrunched up by the kneecap kind of thing. It was, it was weird. And they wore these triangle type hats. All right, so a lot has changed since then. Now we're wearing, you know, plaid shirts and skinny jeans. I mean, they would laugh at us and we would laugh, we laugh at them. So a lot has changed. America is now 52 states. All right, and there's about 327 million people. It's crazy. We have Disney World. We have New York City. We have LA. Like, there's a, there's a lot has changed since our inception, okay? And that was 243 years ago. So let's, let's take that and apply that to what's going on here. God had not spoken to his people in 400 years. A lot changed in those 400 years. The people changed. 
the political system changed. Rome was now ruling the land. There was a lot of differences. People were entrenched in the rituals. It wasn't about knowing God. It was about being good. Much changed. God had not spoken directly to his people for 400 years. A lot changed since the time of the prophets. It was like 15 or 16 generations that had come and gone. And God breaks the silence here. Just like the rabbis believed, God wouldn't speak until the Messiah came. That happened. God says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The stage had been set. The inauguration into this era had been initiated. And from this point, it would be undeniable who this man, Christ Jesus, was. He was the Messiah. So I have, I have some questions to consider as we, as we close this out. Where do you find yourself in the story of redemption? Where do you find yourself? Have you accepted Christ? And I'm not asking, do you believe in Jesus? Because the devil believes in Jesus. I'm asking you, have you accepted him as your savior? Do you put your eternal hope and trust in what he accomplished on the cross? If so, are you living for him? Are you living a life dedicated to your purpose, to carrying out the Great Commission? And kind of, I mean, this passage is all about baptism. It's all about Jesus identifying with John's message. But a question for you, have you been baptized? Baptism is, is not part of salvation. We do not gain salvation through baptism. But you look at scripture and 1 Peter talks about baptism being part, a part of the salvation experience, right? It doesn't save, but it is a pledge to follow the Lord and identify with him. In scripture, there's only one instance where you see a believer that is not baptized and that's the thief on the cross, right? He believes Jesus said, I will see you in heaven, and then he dies. He doesn't, he doesn't have time to get off and get baptized. Baptism is part, has been part of our makeup since before Jesus even died on the cross. It was a universal, defining experience in the early church. And really, it's, it's a public stand. It's an identification with Jesus. Jesus took a public stand for us in a way that we could never even fathom. Like, he died for us. He in, he. He went through all that he went through for us in that very, very public way. And he asks us to identify with him through baptism. So we talked about a lot of these three different characters, their purpose, their message. What is your purpose? What do you define as your purpose in life? I think sometimes we, we put so many things in our life that we lose sight of our purpose very quickly and very easily, and we have to continually refocus ourselves. What is your purpose? I love, and this, John chapter 3, verse 28 and 30 is like my favorite passage when it comes to John the Baptist, because this is after he baptizes Jesus, and Jesus goes and starts his earthly ministry, and some of John the Baptist's followers are going to him and, and a little upset his followers are like, 
Speaking of Jesus, they say, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Oh no, nobody's following us anymore. In John chapter 3, verse 28 through 30, John the Baptist says, you yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hear him, hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. And then he says this, Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. I must decrease. Our purpose is to see Christ exalted, Christ glorified, Christ lifted up. It's not about us. He must increase, we must decrease. That is our purpose. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever we do, it's meant to bring honor and glory to God. It's not about us. We need to preach the message of repentance, push people to him. What is your message? Are you calling people for repentance? Are you carrying out the Great Commission? Just as Jesus was loved and brought pleasure to God the Father, we too must live to please God and make him proud. We are striving to hear that well done, my good and faithful servant. So let's strive for that. Let's let's look at John as the humble herald and strive to be like him today. Let's see Jesus, the humble servant king who submitted himself to the Father who submitted himself to John's baptism to carry out his purpose. And let's make God proud through our life. Let's pray.